0: Hey, hi, hello, welcome to episode 37 of Trail Society brought to you by our friends over at Free Trail. I'm Corinne Malcolm. I'm Keely Henninger. And I'm Hillary Allen. And if you guys haven't yet, I think this comes out on what? What day does this come out on officially? I should probably know this already, the 20th. So if for some reason you've listened to this thing first thing in the morning and it is still before noon Pacific time and you have not yet voted for trail runner of the year, you need to stop listening to this right now. You need to go to freetrail.com and you need to cast your ballots for trail runner of the year. If you're listening to this after 12 Pacific, well... Hopefully that ballot got cast, but pretty exciting stuff. We'll be talking about that more in the future. Um, Hilly, last time we talked, it was post Cape Town. You seem to have recovered well. You're back home in somewhat snowy, somewhat wintry Boulder. (laughs) How's recovery going?
1: Ah, uh, yeah, I think the hardest part was adjusting to the cold, but also the lack of daylight. The sun is already coming down. It's blasting me in the eyes for those of you watching the video. <laughs> um yeah, but I'm feeling I'm feeling good. It's um it's always interesting I never know what to expect um after a uh, a long race, especially this one. I mean, like different races from UTMB versus UTCT from an effort perspective. Um but yeah, I'm also just like, man, I'm so excited to be in off season. Yeah, Adam has literally nothing on my training peaks and it's Love it. kind of nice. <laughs> Love it. You're not going,
0: you're not going stir crazy yet. No, no,
1: it's actually, it's super nice. I can, I mean, it's, it's like to mix and match, uh, it's going skiing, um, or, you know, not doing that much or, Um, hint hint to later uh, getting in the gym. So that's been fun. (laughs) Yeah. Our gym sauna just broke, which is a bummer.
2: I feel like
0: this is the perfect time. I don't need heat acclimation right now, but I love how the sauna (laughs) feels. And uh, oftentimes I'll jump in the sauna after a gym session or after a yoga session or something at our gym and the heater Mm. broke. Mm. We're going to get a new heater next week, which makes me very, very sad.
2: The sauna is key to keeping the purple lips away.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Keely is notorious, I think, for having purple and blue lips. And she gets really, really <laughs> chilled. Um, she's post-run right now, and we're gonna try to get through this all before she freezes. <laughs> um, we'll to get her in the shower quickly. Um, but one thing we wanted to touch on too, Keely, you wrote, you kind of write a monthly science column for us over at Free Trail. It's been really kind of lovely to have that content routinely. And you just um we just published the first in a three-part series and it got really great feedback i think online but also in the the slack community that we have via free trail pro and i'm just wondering you know how it felt to put this kind of vulnerable piece out into the world and to get the response that it did from the community
2: oh my goodness yeah first of all um thanks for giving me the platform but yeah i was really stoked to write these kind of three piece articles because it's obviously a big passion of mine but i think also it's it's not talked about well and it's not articulated in a way that's that's more story-like. Um, I think with my science writing, I like to make it more like a story than than like straight science because it doesn't read super well. Corinne, <laughs> obviously you're great at writing this too. But um, anyway, so yeah, our first one was talking about our relationship with running. And then the next two series, we'll kind of look at our relationship with our body and our relationship with fueling. And obviously you guys can sense the theme there. But yeah, if you guys head over to the free trail premium slack, like the conversation that came out of this was absolutely phenomenal. A lot of people became really, really vulnerable talking about how, you know, this article really made them think about how they view running and if their relationship with running is positive or negative, or maybe both. And I think we all can, you know, resonate with the fact that sometimes running might not be the best thing for us and we might be using it in a not so healthy way. And to Corinne's point in one of her comments is like, while that's okay, sometimes it's like really good to like be really critical of yourself and to be able to evaluate that relationship to make sure that it's not always negative and it's not driving you to do more negative habits so this first article was really just to highlight that like while in the sport of trail and ultra running, we're praised for being really, really tough and for being able to endure all these things. There's certain things, especially coming to things like mental health that we don't need to endure and we shouldn't have to be really, really tough during because we're allowed to like seek help for it and to really like, you know, put our foot down and stand up for ourselves and, and try to be healthier and not just try to put our heads down and grind through it. So was really stoked with the community that this first article spot fostered, um, still writing the second one. It should be done for Corinne here in the next couple of days. And so we'll get that one out to you guys soon. <laughs> yeah, it's it was really, really cool. The Slack group,
0: I could probably burn way too much time in there. I spent enough time on my computer as is, but it's, it's pretty cool. There's, I think, over 400 members in the Slack community. Um, and there's like, different channels you can follow. Mental health being one of the channels that's pretty darn active. They actually hold their own office hours now. Um, it's a pretty thoughtful group of humans. It, it reminds me of like OG twitter in a way where it feels like you're getting a bunch of really good like good stuff out of the running community but it's overwhelmingly a positive a positive space people are looking for recommendations helping helping give advice etc um it seems it's really really cool i've been enjoying it though uh i definitely i feel like if i'm not caught up on it it can be a little bit overwhelming when i go <laughs> yes. to my
2: computer and i'm like whoa oh my gosh totally yeah i'm like oh my gosh i've missed a week like what <laughs> hold your horses yeah it yeah it can be but it can be a lot It's really cool. I don't know if you guys have ever been a part of a Slack group before where everyone feels really comfortable with one another, because I think what's really unique about this is that it's a lot more personal than Twitter, right? Because people are willing to open up and talk about their experiences with some of this really like hairy stuff that doesn't feel great to talk about. And they're like opening up and talking about it in these forums, which I think I can't help but think that's really helpful for the sport It's to be able to have these open conversations. Even if it's only 400 people, you know, you start small and you start fostering these conversations. And hopefully, then we can start destigmatizing some of this stuff,
1: yeah. right? And it's, it's just having those pieces where you just find a little bit of something in common with someone, and that's what sparks, in my opinion, a community, right? It's the beginning. It's just these little small things, and whether that's virtual, um, I think we're lucky enough to have that virtual platform of connecting people across the United States, but also the globe.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's like truly a very international group of humans, which uh, which is pretty fun to follow along as people take on adventures all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, we're going to dive into the news, before we dive into the news, we got to give a shout out to the people who make this show possible. Obviously, we've been espousing the the greatness over at Free Trail, but people who are helping pay our bills include Athletic Greens. Um, we um are going into 2023 with them as well, which I think is very, very exciting for all of us um sitting here, the three of us. We're pretty biased. The three of us are really excited about it. Um, but if you would like try Athletic Greens, if you have not yet tried it, you can go over to the website to athleticgreens.comslash trail society. Um, and there, with your first order, you can get a free one year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs, which have come in handy. Um, I'm going to Bellingham this weekend to go skiing. I'm gonna have the travel packs in my little, uh, my overnight bag to take with me. So go over to slash trail society. And there you can get that free one year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs to take ownership over your health. I did it. We did it. Yay. <laughs> News. Um, a lot has happened since we've been away. Cause I feel like the UTCT recap was kind of a, a special, a special little sideshow in a way, but, um, CIM happened. Um, we were just nerding out over the, over the stats coming out of CIM, mm-hmm. the California international marathon before we hit record. Um, This is kind of bonkers because initially when we first talked about the big change in the Olympic marathon, women's qualifying time standard, it went from 245 to 237. And we were kind of, I think we were uniformly kind of bummed about it. Does that seem accurate?
2: Somewhat Uh, Somewhat bummed, but yeah. I think I was maybe bummed isn't the right word. I think I agree with bummed a little bit, but I also was more just confused by who chose that time and when, where that time came from, because it was a jump of, you know. It was a big jump. Eight minutes. <laughs> um, I mean, so I think it was more just like, okay, where did that time come from? And how is that going to impact like the morale of female runners and and who shows up? And I mean, I think it's been taken by the community really well and people are showing up, but I was like, kind of concerned what would happen there.
1: I don't know. I, I, I was like a little bit like from, from, it seemed like a big jump, but the more I looked into it from like a perspective of comparing it from the A and B times for the men's field, it seemed a little bit more reason, reasonable and comparable. Um, so, but I'm excited to see kind of what has happened and that maybe, yeah, a little bit fearful of what would happen for motivation's sake, but I think it's amazing to see what women have now done with it. And it's almost, it's like, it's created, I think, uh, an effect of like rising to the occasion and then surpassing Mm -hmm. kind of expectations, which is, I think a really good thing. Yeah. Yeah, And it
0: it didn't just impact the a standard and B standard for the U S. So this is the Olympic qualifying Mm -hmm, time. This affects every single country that's trying to qualify runners. Mm -hmm. The U S is a big enough country, the big enough running community that we've had an a and B standard to get into the Olympic trials, the B standard being the Olympic qualifying time, something that we felt, you know, like you couldn't have a standard faster than that. Technically it wasn't legal actually. Um, you couldn't eliminate people from the Olympic trials if you're going to host the trials with a, with a qualifying time faster than that. Mm-hmm. And that's why we did the A and the B standard. Yep. And so this big jump in the Olympic qualifying time, while it doesn't actually impact the U.S.'s team, it will impact some nations for qualifying yeah. any athletes won't have one. Um, who yeah. won't have someone who can maybe meet that standard, totally. which is <laughs> a like a representation question for the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Cause that's what the Olympics is actually about. It's actually about representation of nations over like mm-hmm. forming the most competitive marathon in the history of all marathons. Yeah. Um, but as you mentioned, rising to the occasion, we were really worried, like what was going to be? Like, were there going to be women who, in the US in particular, had been caught in the momentum, like the rising tide of women going for that 245 standard? Cause it seemed, you know, sub three, okay. Sub three to 245. Like it's, it's a jump, but it's not like, it's, I think mentally you're able to wrap your mind around it. And so Mm -hmm. this next jump felt, I think, more significant for that, that kind of title wave of women. I mean, what, Mm -hmm. 511 women qualified last time around, like it's a huge, huge trial. I think it's,
2: yeah, I think in last time we talked about this, it's like, there's always a pendulum swinging, right? It was like, we did not have many women who qualified for the Olympic trials for a really long time. You know, women in sport was just like half a person ago was when the first woman ran a marathon. That's not that long ago. And so, you know, we don't have that many women running. I think it was really cool to see the pendulum swing a little bit the other way where all of a sudden 511 women qualify for the Olympic trials and they get to run in this really, really monumental race. And that's really good for momentum and for women's running in general. And so I think, Going back to just the change in the time, I think we were a little bummed because it was like, okay, how's this going to impact momentum? And to Corinne's point, I don't think it's impacting it that much, right? So, like last year, 511 women qualified or last trials. Now we're already over 90 women. We have 96 women who've qualified in the first year of the qualifying window. And based off of the times of the women who qualified in 2021, we had predicted that roughly 90 women from those times would run the 237 qualifier. And so, you know, we're already there and it's only a year into this qualifying window. So clearly women are rising to the occasion. They're beating their PRs from that last Olympic trials the standard is something that is still going to allow a lot of women to test themselves and and also qualify for the olympic trials which is really really exciting and i can't even wait to see like how many more actually qualify and it's also exciting for the men there's 105 men who've qualified already too which is also really close to how many men we thought would make it from last year i believe we were thinking around 120 or 30 so men are also rising to the occasion which is also really cool
0: which has taken time like i don't think that like there it's been a it's been kind of like a herky jerky progression for them i feel like there's been a lot of men who are finally meeting the time that they've been like really close to for a while um so that's good and then as we we didn't mention this yet but at cim 35 men qualified 34 women qualified and there were another 14 women that were under 239 so just two within two minutes of that qualifying time um and so like really really close we had women that were you know 15. 20 50 seconds there was this video that came out that was like pretty viral of one woman like clearly cramping up who like made it with three seconds to spare Uh, i think at the end like her stride was like really like she was basically it was like a power walk that still had like an aerial phase like it was really wild because she was like (laughs) pushing as hard as she could to get across the line she like falls down as soon as she crosses it it was like i think a very emotional finish for everyone who watched it um but like made it made it with like a second to spare so it's pretty, pretty cool. So we are, we're impressed, ladies. You guys are getting after it um, and can't wait to see how many of you actually get to toe the line. I think the they finally announced Olympic trials is going to be in Florida. Um, as always, there's probably some drama associated with that decision, given that Paris will be kind of a
2: unique course for the marathon. Mm-hmm. I think it's quite and, hilly. And Tennessee had the bid and then they got taken away from them. So Yeah, and a, a bid that I think they'd actually be able to match the Paris coat
0: course a little bit better with hills and with some dirt, I think actually involved in the Paris marathon course as well. So we'll be curious to see how that all pans out, but, uh, Mm -hmm. 96 of you already into Olympic trials qualifying Mm -hmm. window. So, uh, they have until December 5th, um, next year. So oftentimes CIM becomes the last qualifier Mm -hmm. in that window. Um, very much a last, a last chance for people. So I, I imagine that next year it'll be a very big emotional celebration for a lot Mm -hmm. of a lot of men and women trying to make their final bid at at uh (laughs) qualifying for the olympic trials yeah so cool. um we pulled some exciting news keely went through and pulled a bunch of stuff and um the first one actually we've got some collegiate some collegiate stuff some like national governing body stuff the collegiate one was actually really interesting it was it has to do with a female division one baseball player And Kaylee, I'm wondering if you can tell us, I saw a video about this on some (laughs) social
2: media platform. I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit more about that story. Yeah. um, When looking at news for the week, there was a couple articles that came out that were both of the theme of like first-timers. So first-timer women doing something kind of cool or novel. And at Brown University, um, there was a woman named Olivia, who was the first female to make a division one baseball team as a freshman walk-on and the coach actually said that he felt that Olivia put together the most complete walk-on tryout I have seen from a player since becoming a head coach and, and thus gave her a position on the team, which is so cool. Um, <laughs> like, I didn't even really realize that this was going on, and so it was really cool to see this, this make headlines. Yeah. Yeah, I think I
0: think we've seen some women – Make football teams. I think we've seen we haven't seen women obviously at the D- division one level make a baseball team, but that is uh, that's really really cool to see it shouted out in um, the collegiate sports world. And then there was um, news coming out of USA figure skating with um, a new a new CEO coming on, and I think the historical implication there was that um, it's Tracy Merrick who is will be the first woman to be the chief executive officer in the 101 year history of the national governing body um which is really of figure skating figure skating <laughs>
2: of primarily a female sport <laughs> yeah yeah well,
0: at least at least historically, historically celebrated as yes, a female sport yes, yes, obviously exactly. there is there's men's figure there's skating a ton of and male, pairs yes. and the uh, ice dancing etc kind of all under that umbrella but 100 yeah. years no women come Crazy. on we're all about yeah. sequence
1: <laughs> yeah. It's I literally it was, my favorite sport to watch, men and women. But yeah.
0: It is, it is a really, really cool sport to watch. We've covered some stuff coming out of like the Russian figure skating um mm-hmm. body in the past, like some drama mm-hmm. um and abuse allegations yeah. and all sorts of you know, kind of craziness coming out of um of one specific Russian coach who's kind of notorious for a bunch of this. Um, but kind of cool to see a woman in this position, hopefully a positive move for the organization. I think the organization has been a has been a positive one for the most part. I actually haven't heard a ton of drama outside of the, or inside the figure skating, the US figure skating world. I'm sure it exists. Um, But something that I brought up with uh, Hillary and Keely before we pushed record was that, interestingly, so Tracy comes from most recently serving as the executive vice president and the chief marketing officer for the um, NBA's Cleveland Cavaliers. Mm -hmm. And people might say like, oh, that's kind of odd, right? But actually a lot of national governing bodies or NGBs bring in, when they're bringing in a CEO, it is oftentimes from a C-suite position at another big corporation, be it Pepsi, New Balance, Mm -hmm. um, another sporting organization. So they're oftentimes an outsider coming in under the direction of bringing in new ideas to try to reinvent, rebrand, save, is oftentimes a word thrown around with certain organizations, um, to try to bolster this sport, this national governing body for the next decade. So um, it'll be interesting to see what Tracy does there and what ideas she brings into that national governing body. But it is, it's kind of like a, I think most of us from the outside would assume it's someone who's been involved in the sport for forever or was an athlete themselves in the sport, but really oftentimes like the board members are some of those people. Um, The working groups and the athlete representation comes in those forms. And then the CEO of the NGB becomes this kind of outside C-suite individual. So Good on USA Figure Skating, good on Tracy. If you know anything about this that we don't know and you're a figure skating fan out there, uh, let us know, slide into our DMs. Curious to kind of know what the take is from the, the wider audience there. Um, and then the last bit of news, um, that Keely is currently adding to, so she's mm-hmm. going to take this one away, um, is entitled white shorts be gone and it has to be with Australian um, football. So tell us what's going on there. Yeah. Well, Hillary had brought Keely in a good <laughs> point. Yeah. Keely
1: and I were t- texting back and forth and this is happening. <laughs> More texting. Okay, well, tell I guess me, like me, So Hillary
2: in. kind of brought up a good point. So yeah. looking at, thinking back to my high school days and Hillary brought this up, you know, home, home team always had to wear white, right? And this is
1: college for me in tennis. Yeah. Like we had two uniforms.
2: Yeah. So like home teams always wear white. That's been pretty standard in a lot of sporting history. Um, However, recently in the AFL, um, it's the Australia's national semi-professional Australian rules football league for female players. There's been changing to this protocol. So traditionally in this league um, for away games, the teams have been required to wear white shorts and Um, they basically now just passed a rule to say that the female teams that are away can wear colored shorts to kind of basically cover up period Leak that might happen for females while they're playing, so that they don't feel embarrassed wearing white shorts when they're on their period, and they don't feel like they're going to have their period show through their shorts um, and all of that, which I think is awesome and definitely was something that I thought about in high school, but I just didn't think there was an alternative. So it's kind of cool that they're thinking this through, and maybe we'll start to see some ripple down effects in in you know other college sports or other high school sports or or both. Well,
0: which which big tennis. Meet, meet, is that the appropriate word, Haley? Match. Which (laughs) big tennis match um, championship event of some sort actually did, like they changed this this year, right? Was it Wimbledon? Mm, There was one Wimbledon no longer was going to require white, I think as well.
1: Right. Cause Wimbledon, Wimbledon has traditionally, like this is one of the big tennis tournaments of, of like the four big majors where everyone wears white, um, like men and women. It's just like a, like a, just very all white. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whatever it is. I mean, cause I mean, that's like, if you look about tennis, it is like, it doesn't fit my personality, but I was drawn to the sport just cause I loved it, but it is yeah. very, like it is a, like a, like a, a private, you know, like a, you go to this racket club. It's a very, posh, as you would say, sport. Mm
2: -hmm. So Wimbledon did not change their protocol. They still require a white top coat, Mm -hmm. basically. However, they basically say that all female players can wear a dark colored undershort beneath their white skirt or white short. Mm -hmm. And so the top layer still needs to be white. However, they're allowed to wear dark colors underneath um, to mitigate that stress.
0: That seems like a happy medium of sorts. Yeah, it yeah. seems so. But I think that this kind of brings up that conversation we had in and around the Olympics as well of just like highlighting the importance of allowing athletes some choice in apparel, i.e. like why not have a a, a smattering of options that are all deemed appropriate? Like this was like mm-hmm. my my college running team that I was on loan to a little bit. You know, we had what I call bundies or like running briefs. And then we had like a spandex short and then we had a loose short. And then I think we had... Mm-hmm. A tight top and a loose top were like our two top options. And it was like generally, it was up to us, like technically within the team, there could be some like, Hey, we're all going to wear X, Y, or Z. But for the most part, it was kind of like a choose your own, um, style. And they were all approved uniforms for the team. It's like making a U.S. team, right? Like you'll see people in all different versions of the same kit. Like, I think allowing choice and fit in, in, if, if you're in a sport that still needs some sort of respectful boundaries Mm -hmm. or whatever they are as far as like approval of uniforms like allowing for options i
2: think uh eliminates a barrier for absolutely yeah Mm -hmm. i spoke with a high school once or sorry a college division three college and i got reached out to by a lot of the the girls afterwards who were expressing concerns around the uniforms they were given because their coach Being a male who was not thinking more deeply about the female's needs, ordered only size extra small and small for the entire team. And, you know, there were a ton of girls who were like, I have to fit into these and I don't want to go back to him and say, I need a medium. And, you know, as a coach, if you, you know, you coach females, something to consider not everyone fits into an extra small or small. And maybe they do and they don't want to. And maybe they don't and they don't need to. Like it's all these things, right? So, you know, just give them options.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that, that, yeah, that's an assumption being made. That's not appropriate whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, the good old days. <laughs> people just forcing people to do their bidding. No bad, <laughs> bad, bad, bad. Um, I definitely felt a little bit of that when I first went to get my, my, um, my like uh, cross country uniform from the like apparel people at the school was kind of like, here's your uniform. And I was like, actually like, I need, I need, I need this size. I need to size up. Um, like this does not fit me, um, X, Y, or Z rationale reasons, et cetera. But that is, um, I've definitely like traded with the men's team on USA team trips before. Cause I'm like the, the extra small is a Jordan Hesse extra small mm-hmm. or <laughs> no, like, the which... USA
2: kits are insanely tiny. tiny. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So that's been a, a thing that you like, we forget to tell the next gen when they're ordering their team kits that like, Hey, things are, things are weird here, but, um, I know it's a hard conversation to hear. Um, if you're listening to this, but we want you to know that like, we believe in options. We like, if you've got questions, comments, concerns, about that kind of stuff, like, and you don't feel comfortable talking to your coach, like having a peer on the team or a peer mentor or someone, um, senior to you to have that conversation with can go a long way for building like team comfort and personal comfort and, um, making sure that no one feels put out by being forced to fit into X, Y, or Z mold. So Mm -hmm. white shorts be damned. (laughs) Um, I think we're going to move from news to racing because we didn't cover any racing besides Hillary's UTCT in the last (laughs) episode. And we definitely missed a few things and want to give a a few quick shout outs to races that have taken place over the last couple of weeks. The first of which
2: being JFK,
0: I don't know if Keely, if you want to want to walk
2: us through that one real quick, Sarah was so impressive there. Sure. Um, Yeah. So some history went down at JFK, which is the 50 miler that starts a little bit outside of DC and Maryland, I believe. Yes. Williamsport, Maryland. It was always such a weird thing for me because I'm from Williamsport, Pennsylvania, and it's not the same. (laughs) Um, Anyways. So Ellie Greenwood, the goat, um, her course record was broken finally. And it was from 2012. So think that's also sort of the time of her Western States course record back when Ellie was just a terror. Um, (laughs) And Sarah Beal, who's ran this race four times now consistently getting better every single time. Um, She's an East coast runner as well. She broke the course record running six Oh five 41 and shattered the course literally placing 11th overall. She was just outside the men's top 10 and it was not like a shabby men's top ten very yeah. stout men's top 10. So <laughs> big kudos to Sarah Beal. Um, that was in a stellar run and shows what like really getting to know a course does for being able to run these super, super fast times. Um, so excited to see what else Sarah Beal does in this. Yeah. Un-
0: unsponsored. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Um, I had mixed her and Sarah Cummings up in my head. Um, cause there are a bunch of really fast Sarah's, um, Sarah Beal <laughs> was second. I believe to Sarah Cummings yep, last year. Yep. Sarah <laughs> Cummings, I believe is on the Brooks team. And I was like, isn't Sarah Beal on the Brooks team? No, wrong Sarah. <laughs> So Sarah Beal, a uh, free agent, I believe. So uh, probably probably is in need of a, a running contract there. But speaking of fast running results, um, Brazos Bend um, in Texas also took place. It's a notoriously fast course, the hundred mile, and it's and it's deemed a trail course. And so people will oftentimes go for trail world records or trail like US bests on this course in particular. Um, the the hundred mile was won by. Zach Better, I think I saw a really funny video. I think it was from Nicole. I think it was of Zach. And it was a lot of people were chafing out there. Like chafe was like a really real problem at Brazos Bend. It looked kind of miserable. Liza Howard, um, 50 years old, won the women's race insanely fast as well. She's my mom's uh my mom's coach. So big, <laughs> big shout out for to Liza Howard. She's amazing. Um, Devin Yanko, who just won Havelina, um, was gonna double back so for the hundred mile here opted, you know, kind of listened to her body. I got a text from her in which I like, didn't see in time because I was ski touring or something. And, uh, (laughs) she worked, she worked through the whole system. By the time I got back to the car, I was like, I've made up my mind. This is what I'm doing. (laughs) Um, and I was like, I agree. I agree with your decision. So she decided, um, in like the day before the race to move from the hundred mile down to the 50 mile, respecting her body, respecting how she's been feeling, trying to navigate that stress ran some disgustingly fast 50 mile time, like one of the faster 50 mile times in the record, like in the, like the the year for women um, really, really cool. She was second overall by a mere two minutes to Zach Krim. So um, the, I don't know, pod favorite Devin Yanko just <laughs> crush it, continuing to crush it. So a uh, big shout outs there. And then who wants to talk about McDowell? I've got a counterpoint to McDowell. Um,
2: so McDown yeah, I'm stoked one. on your counterpoint, but yeah. I, I don't know if I agree with it either. So bring Air it
0: Vibha, on. Air um, race, yeah. really cool Air Vibha race. Some, mm-hmm. some cool results to start. So who wants to hit the yeah. results and then we can talk about counterpoints. Yeah.
1: Um yeah, so McDonald mountain So Brian Curl, he won in 618. And again, this is like we just have some incredible results because it's so I feel fast. like everyone is like a new course record. And this is a new course record by 40 men, 40 minutes. Sorry. <laughs> and uh the top three men also ran under the the previous course record. So in the 50,
2: in the 50 mile.
1: In the 50 mile. Yes. Um, and yeah, I would, I would, I mean, six eighteen is still like, yeah, really fast for a, uh, 50 mile race. I, d- I don't know how much elevation gain is in this race in particular. Um, and then Georgia Porter, um, was in seven, seven hours, 40 minutes also in a new course record, um, by four minutes. Um, so still blazing. Um, and this is like, okay, so this is the Solomon sponsorship. I think I have, we talked about this before. I mean, it's definitely no, been we out. Haven't out in the current <laughs> no we
0: have not <laughs> talked about she, it she, going wants, to. she
1: wants to but yeah i mean it's been out i've seen it advertised before so basically this is winner um winners would win a 2023 and i'm putting this in quotes solomon sponsorship and a six pack of uh, like the the arabia race entries. so it kind of like um these different races that they have they have a series of races you can choose um and so yeah, the sponsorship entails basically 10 pairs of shoes, a team race signalant, and, um, basically a Salmon athlete discount for Salmon gear entries into Salmon sponsored races, um, inclusion, in, like basically the communication, um, for being a part of the Salmon team. Um, and it'll probably I would assume like a little bit of like activation, like around social media, um, Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'll let Corinne kind of talk, like uh, do her, um, her counterpoint, but I mean, there's also, I mean, maybe there's a little bit of a reason why I put things in a, a quotation for, for sponsorship.
0: Yeah. So I think it's interesting. It's gotten a little bit of hype and a little hmm. bit of play. And, I, and and this is not to take away from the people who ran really fast. Georgia Porta is insanely talented, kind of newer to the scene. Um, she was second to Katie Asmuth at the Black Canyon 60K last year. Um, oh. And this is like, I think this is one of her first 50 mile endeavors. So like really, really talented athlete, excited to see what she can do. Brian Curl, that's probably one of the better 50 mile performances of the year for men, like really solid run by Brian. I think we're going to see his name a lot more. My issue is with calling this a sponsorship, because I think this goes to the the wider sponsorship conversation in which Mm -hmm. a lot of athletes are chasing sponsorships in which they're really ambassadorships. And I say that because when we all work for free, no one gets paid. And so why would a team pay any athletes when they can not pay 20 athletes and give them 10 pairs of shoes that doesn't cost the company anything? Um, give them a discount code. So they're still buying stuff probably at or above MSRP. Um, And um, being, you know, like maybe you're joining a team zoom activation being like, we're going to want you to promote our stuff. Like Solomon's not going to promote these athletes on their channels. They're going to ask them to promote Solomon activations on their channels. So it's, you have a high profile ambassador in the sense where I think it's cool that Aerovipa is giving them a race package. Like, I think it's fun and exciting and new but i don't think it's a sponsorship and i don't actually agree with the model nor do i think it's like the best I, I don't know like i think this is like i've run for solomon i know i know a number of athletes who have run for solomon particularly in the north american side of things and like this is kind of within their style and scope of of sponsorship but i don't think that to progress the sport in a professionalization standpoint like calling calling this a sponsorship means that other people like, why would you pay anyone else? Because people are willing to do it for free.
2: See what you're, you're, I think what, where where I disagree is that this is, this is targeting athletes who are really new, most likely to the sport and are like wanting to get better. So I think like, you know, to give them free shoes and a little bit of money for gear, like, you know, money being they get discounts on gear and a couple like a singlet and stuff is like a step in the right direction for that athlete. Because, You know, they probably aren't racing races that will get them signed quite yet, but those free shoes might give them the extra $800 they need to race two or three more races the next year that then get them noticed and a real sponsorship. So I think like, I'm with you in the sense that like Solomon has been notorious in the past for extremely underpaying their athletes and not valuing their athletes. And I think that this is very different because I think this is like a step in the way of like increasing access for up and comers.
0: I I hope so I hope like I I get the like the the niceties there about it but like I don't know I just feel like this is like this tracks with like other Solomon team stuff so I mean insider insider like feelings there I have to agree
1: I yeah, completely, totally. I, I agree with you from that standpoint. Um, about like, I, I do think that I would use the word notorious with Solomon and sponsorships from basically claiming that something. That's why I use the word the term, like an air quote of sponsorship by just providing gear, which can be a very low cost, not even providing like travel budget. But the one thing that I that I would kind of land in the middle between both of you is that we all have to start somewhere. And yes, yeah, totally. while I while I agree that if, if everyone is not like, you know, if you're calling this sponsorship, then no one really gets paid. I forget the exact wording that you just used, Corinne. But um I, I think that makes it harder for people who are trying to do it in a professional way and get and get actual dollars from from companies to support what they're trying to accomplish in, a, in an athletic career. But you have to start somewhere and you can't just expect money from a company if you don't have the results to back it up. So I do think that this is a stepping stone. Do I think that they should have added some actual cash to it to consider it to be a sponsorship? Yes. And I think that could take the form of like, um, not just entries into races, but to support, to get to those races and money that you could actually reimburse a company for that you would actually spend. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think there's like, there are some other things that would upgrade that level of support that would be financially advantageous to the athlete. Just like if like, I don't know what the contract is here, but they want a contract. So it's like, are they required to race in only Solomon apparel and you're giving them a singlet and you're still making them buy everything Mm -hmm. at MSRP? Like, Mm -hmm. That's that's not cheap stuff, even with the discount. So it's like to me, like those are those are my hangups there, Mm -hmm. right? Of like, I think it's cool. I think you know, if this was me of seven or eight years ago, yeah, like that probably would have been really really exciting to be like, oh, this is this is a cool way into the sport, and I just I. I hope that everyone understands like at face value what they're getting Mm -hmm. out of it and they're not being told they're getting
2: more and they're not getting it. Right. That it's not like a sponsorship that shoots you in the foot where Mm -hmm. all of a sudden you have a really good year and you're actually like hands are tied to apparel and footwear and packs and all these things that they don't provide to you. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Totally
0: So we will see. But another thing that came out of that was... Um, super, other super fast running that we'll touch on quickly before we bop into kind of our meat and potatoes for mm-hmm. today was Chris Myers broke a 10 year old course record by Rob Carr <laughs> Like that's crazy. Stupid. Yeah. Like, bonkers, bonkers <laughs> fast.
2: So, so cool. All these course, course records the going down, <laughs> really, really it, was fast. it was cold. So it'd be, it'd be interesting to look at the track <laughs> record of the, of the temps yeah. for this race because it was chilly. Um, yeah. again, I don't know if it's always chilly. Maybe it is. This is just me looking into the one day, but it looked cold. Yeah. I think and then like des-
1: 40, 40 degrees is like mm-hmm. optimal running exactly. temperature.
2: Yeah. So if it was hotter the previous years, but also I think just, just more people are coming to the sport and it's pretty fast. exciting. These course so records fast. are going down. Yeah. And speaking
0: of desert solstice just happened. Camille Heron was doing what she normally does. <laughs> She's 40 now just kind of like slamming through um, personal records, age group records, um, hundred mile track world record. Um, I know that she, like, I think she lost like 11 or 12 minutes of time due to like vomiting or something. Like she took a break after running through the 50 mile time, like she broke the 50 mile time. And then she like took a break and then got back out there. So her, like her hundred mile average was still something like stupid. And I'm like, you know, she wasn't moving for like a while and like every second counts like the clock doesn't stop. Right. So I thought that that was uh very, this Camille Heron on doing what she does really, really well. So excited to see her get a little bit of redemption after kind of a big, a big hub blue over Jack that like some jackpot, um, 100 mile, her road record, um, came into question due to some measuring issues there. So I don't think it was ratified, which is a bummer for her season. Um, the course came in measured supposedly just short after the fact, which I think there's a bunch of drama going on around that. So Camille Heron way to get back on the track and still throw down after dealing with all that stuff in the background, Last bit of racing. Um uh do in Thailand um just happened. It was a UTMB race, it was a golden ticket race. Um, top two men and women in the hundred mile getting entry into Western states, with the goal being to get Asian athletes into Western states. And three of the four spots went to Chinese athletes, hoping they can get visas to join us stateside because. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of Chinese athletes that none of us have ever heard of who are (laughs) so freaking good but never get to race outside of China due to visa stuff. So um, bonkers over there. Really hard course, it looked like. Mm -hmm. Jenny Quilty, though, fan of the pod, pod favorite. (laughs) Jen, Jen Quilty, Jenny Q., um, took the win i was doing live commentary and her family and friends were in the <laughs> chat the entire time just like outrageous like they were so so much fun i've been messaging with jenny a little bit after her win congratulations to jenny yeah and her western first hundred miler yeah western so states cool. bound um mm-hmm. and then in the 100k um hannah allgood and rich lockwood both took second respectively um so they will be getting their tickets back to ccc um in August of 2023. So very excited for both of them and the free trail family. Um, And before we dive into the meat and potatoes, we have to give a shout out to the other sponsor who makes this whole thing possible. That is the feed, your one-stop shop for all your sports nutrition needs and so much more. If you want to get $15, a free $15 off of your order. You're going to go to the com slash trail society. Again, that's the feed.com slash trail society. So what all have you been using for your recovery needs in your most recent feed box?
1: Ooh. I can start. um something I was actually just at the the feed offices uh, yesterday because they're they're here in Boulder. so cool to work with a local company. um and something I've been really digging lately is the Kiyoku. Um I use it as mm-hmm. like it ha- has great protein contract p- protein content. I think it's at twenty two grams of protein a serving and it's made with like, I mean, although I'm, you know, maybe sometimes hesitant, like I do like real food, but all of the, this is like comes out of a package. It's like, basically you can put it, mix it with milk I, or it's like water. A meal, it's
0: like a meal replacement smoothie mix. Yeah. Essentially.
1: But what I've been using it as... I mean, they advertise it more as like breakfast, but I've been using it as a, like a post-workout recovery. Um, So that Mm -hmm. sometimes, that most often happens in the morning, but I've already had a little bit of something before I go out and run. And so this is something that I like to have afterwards. And it's, it's been awesome. I mean, it tastes amazing, but like the ingredient list in there, it's like really high quality ingredients and um, yeah, I've been loving it. I brought it with me to South Africa, at least like these little individual packets. (laughs)
2: Cool. Keely, what have you been been Um, rocking out? So I have vital proteins, collagen on a every other month order cadence, which is my go-to like addition to smoothies for post runs. Um, And then also I go for goop goo smoothies, um, which go in my coffee and it makes it like a mocha or like a vanilla latte. So I throw in like a scoop of the collagen, scoop of the goo protein, and then do my coffee. And that's my recovery drink. And it's basically just a gigantic latte. And it's amazing, but I'm getting, you know, 20 grams of protein, no, 30 grams of protein and carbohydrates. So I can maximize the absorption and it's awesome.
0: That's mm-hmm. yeah.
2: Then they've done
0: a nice job with that, that protein mix. Cause it does well in warm water. Not mm-hmm. all proteins do nice things in hot water. So nope. big, win. <laughs> big win on the, the goo recovery drink front. I'm team waffles, waffles, sorry. No W waffles all the way. I just uh, <laughs> placed another order. I've got like four six packs coming or something so uh you know what I do every single I had
2: morning. a I had a co-worker oh, a at ultra who is one of the tech reps out of uh the west and she says she is obsessed with waffles. thanks to you so I
0: love it I'm gonna become the spokesperson <laughs> for waffles. um but we're gonna dive into the meat and potatoes because we've, we're keeping you for a whole heck of a long time today um <laughs> because we're chatty Cathy's over here, which I decided would be my trail name if I ever got a trail name.
1: Oh, great. We talked about that on a run. That's a good one. Chatty Cathy. (laughs)
0: Um, We wanted to talk about, we kind of alluded to this, Hillary alluded to this earlier, strength training. And we're deep into the off season for for many of you listening. You know, you've taken a period of rest, both mentally and physically. And it's kind of a great time of year, I think, to get back to basics. I like to work on weaknesses and just get really prepared for the year Ahead And obviously that looks very different for everyone, but for me, it definitely means getting back into the gym and focusing on, on moving some heavier objects again, because I feel like that definitely falls away when my running volume creeps up mid season or just before the season. And I think that you both have had similar experiences, um, in the gym, using it for injury prevention, et cetera, getting in the gym because you're injured. Um, and I'm wondering Hilly, I know that it's been, it's been a big thing for you and I'm wondering you know, if you can give us just a little snapshot of why, of why strength is so important as part of your routine, particularly in this time of the season.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think many runners get into it when they're injured of like, oh crap, like oh, there's an imbalance and I need to address it. And then, you know, I'm guilty of this too. Like before my big accident, I, you know, would get in the gym and then once I was back to running I'd kind of forget about it, but This has been just something that I've um, incorporated into my routine for the past five and a half years. And it's, it's something that has, I'm now finally more comfortable in the gym doing heavy, heavy lifts. Um, but it's something that I've had, I've been reminded of like for every year, how important it is and, um, just seeing it, um, I think seeing it. In my running economy, we'll touch. We'll touch on all of this. My ability to recover on like long downhills, um, but specifically for me, injury prevention and addressing imbalances that are kind of things like now permanently in my body, like metal that I can't necessarily fix that I have to make sure that I address so it doesn't, um, you know, become something bigger. Um, but yeah, and specifically this time of year, like you said, when running volume goes down and I have more time, this is a perfect time to rebuild, to rebuild muscle, work on moving heavier things around, um, and a different stimulus. Um, and I think it's a really cool way to like build community. Um, also in those like dark hours when it's cold and (laughs) I don't want to be running outside. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Speaking of community, Keely, you are part of a a fun group in portland who i think refer to themselves as walsh's wallabies um and i didn't realize until like recently that it's matt walsh right mm-hmm. that he's australian mm-hmm. i like did not that did not occur to me i was like why are they the wallabies is it because it rhymes like it's like walsh's wallabies no he's australian like it makes mm-hmm. more sense. So tell us a little bit about the wallabies <laughs> in portland
2: oregon yeah so matt walsh is a uh he's our physical therapist as well. And he kind of brought us all together um, and took a liking to trail running. And so he has been using his, you know, vast experience with training high caliber runners through, you know, 400 meters to a marathon and trying to kind of transitioning to trail running. And so, yeah, we get to group, we, we get together every week. Um, We have a little bit of a downtime right now through the holidays, but hopefully we'll get back at it here in two weeks. Um, But we meet every week and we go through like, some pretty difficult agility drills where he's really trying to work on like proprioception and not quite strength and then we transition to a ton of like explosiveness and power in the second half of the class to really just build strength um which again yeah makes hills feel a lot easier makes makes speed work feel a lot easier because you know you can only get so fast with running right you need to be able to have muscle to generate power to run faster and so he is really enjoying playing around with trail running and kind of bridging the gap between like road and track and trail and seeing what translates well and what doesn't and so we do a lot of weird stuff and then we also do a lot of very traditional lifts um treating it kind of like you would like a track or a road training group as well so it's a really cool mix and and yeah i'd say like we do it in the off season we might we might lift a little a little heavier in the off season but we do keep it going year round and lift heavy pretty much year round. But again, we're, we're building it in the off season. We're never starting from scratch in the middle of a season, you know, that would not bode very well, but we're keeping it consistent. So it's never a shock to the body, but that we can maintain strength and explosiveness for all of our races and all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. And we're going to talk kind of through some of those, those timing considerations and and all that, and all that jazz here in a little bit. And I think it's, you know, I come from a Nordic ski background. We like love the gym. Right? <laughs> it's a, a huge part of Nordic ski training. Um, something I, I grew up with and a place that I feel really at home. I love the social aspects of it. I love the, I, they're, they're generally speaking, when I start to taper for a big race, I legit start to crave the gym because it's something that I haven't gotten to do a lot of generally speaking in like the three to six weeks building up to that big race due to, due to travel, due to high, high running volumes, et cetera. And I'm like, literally so excited during race week to be like, Oh, in like two weeks, I get to go back to the gym, um, (laughs) which is like maybe a very weird thing for an ultra runner to think through, but it's like legitimately happens every single time. Like I'm like, Oh, back to basics soon. I love basics. Um, so we know that, you know we know why each of us have been drawn to it why we do it but what are some you know if we're we're talking to an endurance minded audience men women um kids listen to this literally like we've got a very wide ranging audience so why um why if we're trying to convince someone encouraging them to to talk about there's some like science backed benefits why should endurance athletes consider getting into the gym what are the perks of strength training
1: yeah i mean I think both of us could, all of us can talk to this. I think, I think injury prevention um, that's, that's a huge one. And something that I alluded to um, like my favorite type of of running and the races that I'm drawn to have like very big uphills and very big downhills and a way to um, to appropriately train that is yes, of course, like you can do hard downhill efforts or like a big, like verti run during your training, but a way to also prepare yourself for that. If you don't live in a place you can train every day on the trails, it's to get in the gym because that's one of the, uh, the other ways you can specifically target that those types of movements and and um, you know muscle groups.
0: Keely, do you have anything to add to that? of what are What are your selling points? Why are you going to coax <laughs> someone to come join? come join, not necessarily the Wallabies, but like, why, why should they get in the gym?
2: I think that the reason that I try to get athletes to go in the gym is taking it back to like the basics and trying to get them to understand that, you know, running by itself improves running economy to a certain degree. But if you really want to, you know, go to that next level and have enough power output to really run faster, like say you want to run a new PR, but you've kind of plateaued, one of the best ways to help you do that is to lift and lift heavy and build muscle mass and also like build that neuromuscular connection and just get all those muscles firing. Um, And so that'd be one of my arguments.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, we've talked about like, I believe the numbers from like two to 8% potentially improvements in running economy is that neuromuscular is that muscle mass, you know, we know that there's an increased power Mm -hmm. output there. We know it's a way to kind of schedule your seasons. It's going to, you know, in, I think Hillary mentioned, you know, if you don't live in a hilly environment, if you don't live on the trails, you know, it is a way to kind of increase that fatigue resistance to, I think there was, there's a study that came out actually it's what are prototypes, what our new Adidas prototypes that I think come out in like 18 months, um, that you've seen a lot of our athletes run in this year, um, is based around this research that was done in the last year. The, I think the paper just got published, which basically says that, time loss at the end of the race is like much more so in the downhills than in the uphills. Mm -hmm. That's where people bleed time. Mm -hmm. And so actually getting to the gym is one of the things that Mm -hmm. is going to help with breakdown latent and ultra like particularly on downhill terrain. I think a lot of us think of like, Oh, I need to get in the gym. So my quads are strong so I can climb, but Mm -hmm. really it's, it's preventative for, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the downhill degradation of what happens after mile Mm -hmm. 60 or if you're me, mile 18.
2: Yeah. It's all those incline, (laughs) those incline single-legged squat holds. Mm -hmm. like i'm sure you loves to have us do these hops on an (laughs) incline ramp and you have to like lower yourself down very slowly when you land and they are miserable (laughs) (laughs) but they're great for eccentric loading of quadriceps when you're crushing the downhills yeah so it's it's you know and and
0: i think in that sense too it's a little bit of a lower injury risk of uh, being able to do this in a controlled environment over, just like, I'm going to go find the biggest downhill round and bomb down it every single time mm-hmm. I can. Um, there's uh, some diminishing returns totally. from that strategy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, Yeah, so yeah. I think, I was going to say, I think that from there, it's kind of good to talk about, you know, like, how we periodize it over the course of the year. Like right now, right. We're kind of far away from our, for most of us are far away from our next big race. Um, some of us are a little bit closer than others. Um, but you know, how can we think about strength in a periodization like setting as far as like how does strength look over the course of the year? And then how can we think about, you know, building in, um, timing of, of those strength goals, like it being in the, the, the maintenance phase versus off season lifting versus, Um, you know, in and around race time, like do either one of you have strategies that you found are really effective there or work with strength coaches who have this like specific tactic or style when it comes to thinking about how a runner, how an endurance athlete can
2: utilize different forms of strength training over the course of the season? Yeah. I mean, my coach definitely emphasizes going a little bit harder when you're in your down season. So you don't have any races coming up, but he And I kind of emphasize to athletes that you got to start lifting so that you can continue lifting and continue the maintenance lifting throughout the season and that it's not going to impact your running because I do think it's really important to keep it going throughout the season. Um, and so it might be like a little more heavy during times when you have more time because you're not training, you're not peaking for these races, but that doesn't mean you don't do it when you're still training. It's just, it's just dialed back a little bit and it's a lot more specific and it might be less reps or less weight, but it might be, it's still going to happen um but again like this might be a little bit off topic but when i was working full time and i was like still kind of coaching myself and and or not listening to my coach and running way too much i just couldn't lift. I didn't have time. As soon as I would throw in one extra variable, I would be injured because like I was already pushing myself well past my limit. And so I wasn't recovering from my running, let alone was lifting going to help me in any way, because it was just (laughs) another energy source being taken away from me and damaging my muscles to, to no recovery. Right. Because I was not recovering from anything. And so having time is really important. And if you're really time crunched, you need to really evaluate the schedule to like cut back some of your running if you're going to start lifting because you can't do everything and adding more 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 fuel to the fire is not always a good thing
1: yeah. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think it's like looking at, looking at athletes like, okay, are they time crunched? Right. And if it's more specific to run, then, okay, you should run because that's what you're training for if that's where your goal lies. But then the second question also is like, okay, but if you're a time crunched athlete and you're injury prone, like how, what is the appropriate and combination? And you're over
0: 40, let's
1: say right? right? <laughs> like, yep, all yep, of a yep. sudden <laughs> you
0: know, you're over 40 for women. And yeah. if you're over, I mean, like there's, there's a, there's a point in time where it's like, what you can get away with in your twenties and thirties, yes, I, I would start lifting before that. But it's something that I it's a it's it is a conversation that I highlight with more emphasis and importance for my athletes that are over forty, particularly for my women. And then I would say
1: over thirty five for women, but that's just me.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I said like I think you can start earlier, but when yeah. we see muscle mass decline, and we can talk about this in more detail here in a second. Was was like, generally speaking, it it really is kind of a, a more rapid, I hate using the words rapid decline when it comes to aging. Um, <laughs> After the age of 40, I, I was doing, I was writing a paper or writing an article about the aging athlete and like every single research article had something of like fighting the rapid, rapid decline of aging. Like it, they were just all very negative. I don't think it needs to be negative, but there is like a, if like, I would, I would suggest if you've got the time and you're listening to this, strength training is important. It, as you age, and that's what I—that's how I say to my athletes: as we age, we all need more of it. Mm-hmm. And it's still—it still comes down to that time-crunched aspect mm-hmm. of it, though, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. Which might mean less running.
1: Yeah, which is okay. Know, like,
0: yeah, I'll also say too, like I tell athletes, like, well, this is the ideal way to do it, mm-hmm. but let's face it, like you're a human, mm-hmm. you don't always live in ideals. Like, ideally, right? As As Keely mentioned, you don't want every day to be hard. Right. You have to think about timing. You have to think about, you know, where you are in the year. You can think about where you are in your week even, or where you are in your like kind of mini training block. Right. Like I always propose it in ideals to athletes, but I'm like, Hey, look, like the ideal might not actually work for your schedule. And Mm -hmm. so we have to kind of figure out what that, what that means for you. And does that, and like, and that will change over the course of the year as strength is periodized. Um, but I think right now speaking specifically to the off season, style of, of strength, like ahead of your most important running. Um, you know, I think you can get away with less running and more strength time. And so I think that it's like, you're not, you're not necessarily sacrificing your running workouts being good because you're just doing less of that running work right now. And you're using the darkness hours to get into the gym with some friends, maybe instead. <laughs>
1: Yeah. I mean, and I think it also, it can seem a bit intimidating. I know, especially it was for me, like we're telling you, oh, okay, well, you need to lift and you need to lift heavy, right? Like there's a, there's a learning t- curve with that happens with that. Um, but I think it's like the, the point of this is like to encourage runners to get into the gym. I know like a lot of women that I work with too, is that they're afraid to bulk up. Right. And this is also this section actually, like, but really, I think it's more about changing body composition and like timing of nutrition around that lift, and it's actually really hard to like to really it's, to really bulk if up. If you
0: are an endurance athlete and you're listening to this, it is almost impossible for you to bulk up by yeah. just going to the gym and lifting heavy. Mm-hmm. The people who are putting on tons of muscle mass are working so freaking hard to do that. Like their, and, their protein consumption is insanely yeah. high. The target of their protein consumption is insanely high. The maybe illicit drug use is insanely oh high. It's, it takes a lot of work to bulk up. And so I think that that's mm-hmm. like, that is a taboo that I think the benefits of strength training bone density, right? Like mm-hmm. is one that we haven't even touched on, right? There are a ton of benefits that greatly outweigh any possibility of that, but you're right. Like the biggest issue I see with a lot of athletes is that they're they're an endurance athlete. They don't want to quote unquote bulk up, and let me tell you, it's really really hard to do that. Which if you're a masters athlete, that becomes even more important, right? Because it's mm-hmm. like to maintain lean muscle mass, like that ratio of how many strength sessions you do per endurance session probably needs to change a little bit. So the general, like, I think I I wrote an article for, I run far a number of years ago, which is all still valid. I went through back through the research to make sure that there hasn't been any major changes there. I think it's got some funny title, like pumping iron. Uh, We'll put it in the show notes. Um, It's a great article. Yeah. But one of the things there was like, you know, if you're, if you're doing three endurance workouts for every strength session you do. So say you go to the gym twice a week and you run six days a week, that's that ratio basically. Um there's no generally no increase in muscle mass because of that endurance stimuli and that goes into like mTOR and all these fun bio biochemical things, that I don't think we're going to dive in here today. But basically the the stimulus you get from endurance training is is too significant to it like it overpowers the stimulus the stimulus that you get from the strength training. So it's it's good for various reasons, but for people who are actually trying to put on muscle mass, that ratio needs to be more like two to one, as far as like strength to strength sessions to, um, well, endurance sessions to strength sessions. So you'd have to decrease your running and increase your strength or add in maybe two more days of strength to your week. So, so it's a lot of work actually. So I think it's kind of a funny taboo in that sense. Like people are worried about it. And I'm like, wait, 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 let's, let's talk about, let's talk about that a little bit there, but, mm-hmm. Um, does it, uh, Keeley, do you want to touch on bone density? I think that's kind of an important perk we missed. You're muted. I can't hear you.
2: Yeah, I was, didn't know I was muted. Um, I was going <laughs> to touch on that a little bit. Uh, I was going to say the three to one ratio, Um, is interesting because in that paper as well, you kind of touched on how you could adjust that if you were a master's athlete um, and you could kind of adjust that to be more like two to one, because for a master's athlete where they're having that muscle muscular atrophy, um, they're going to respond better to a higher ratio, right? They're going to need to lift a little bit more to maintain that muscle mass compared to a younger athlete. Um, And then looking at master's athletes, um, you know, there's two reasons behind lifting for them one is to increase bone density because they they need to maintain bone integrity so that they have less fracture risks as they get older and they fall um and the second one is actually you know to build strength and balance and to put this into context, my, my PT says, talks about this really well. He, he actually like used to kind of make fun of us trail runners a little bit, because he'd be like, you guys are trying to make your bodies do these really complicated tasks because, (laughs) you know, if you break trail running down into, you know, movements like controlled movements, they're relatively complicated compared to like a basic deadlift or a basic squat. Um, and he's like, you're trying to make your bodies do all these complicated tasks and you're confused why you're getting injured or all these things. And you're doing all these tasks before you're you're mastering the simple ones and so he's like bringing us all back to the basics to master these simple ones to really just build acute strength in you know the traditional running movements and then be able to apply that to you know maintaining balance on the trails or adjusting to the environment and the same can be said for masters athletes um there's actually a couple newer studies that have come out recently talking about how strength training alone can improve balance for masters athletes and again i think it comes back to this face, this base of like you're mastering these simple tasks and you're building the musculature so that you can feel more stable on your feet and you can like you know Correct yourself. If you do feel yourself tumbling um, and you can stay more steady. And so they're actually finding that training elderly patients or or older patients, which just plain old strength training is really improving their balance and decreasing their fall risk as well. So there's a lot of benefits to lifting um, for us trail runners or older athletes um, To really just mastering those basics first. Yeah, I think the, the two the two biggest indicators of like being able to live on your own,
0: which I don't know if that sounds kind of morbid. These are the only <laughs> two indicators are like grip strength yeah. and being able to get out of basically like a squat without using your hands. So like being able to get out of a chair, so basically a squat position, ninety degrees, without having to use your hands. So basically being able to stand up, like those are the two biggest indicators of like long term independence. So. I think you can do a lot, a lot with that by just doing adding some basic, basic strength training. And obviously, like I don't think this is, you know, a lot of times when we talk about masters athletes, we talk about like how do we avoid the decline as opposed to like how do we advance performance? Um, there's people on both both sides of that. And so it's like, while well, we just talked a little bit about, you know, like these things are good for longevity point blank in general. Um, you know, there are perform, there are performance additive benefits from periodized strength planning throughout the year, uh, periodized strength training throughout the year, independent of if you're a 21 year old whippersnapper new on the <laughs> new on the scene, or if you're, you know, Liza Howard at 50 destroying Brazos bend, or right. I, I just got the Uroy voting stuff for the year. And like we do age group things and it was like the, the oldest women in the age group stuff are like insane, cool performances from like 80 year olds, 80, 82 and 83 year olds. <laughs> so, um, People are, are defi- you know, are breaking records, doing personal best, like, well into their 60s, 70s, and 80s. So I think that a lot of this gets caught up in the conjecture of, like, decline as opposed to thinking about, like, them as good years and, like, good performance years. Which is a huge sidetrack, but it was on on top of mind for master athletes. <laughs> um was it, were there any other bone density tidbits, obviously, as we age bone density is important for fracture risks, but what about for people who, you know, I'm, I'm 32 now. Um, I am past (laughs) my peak bone density building age on average. You know, we, obviously we run. And so we, we, our lower body receives a lot of impact. Obviously we have cyclists who listen to that. They've, they receive less impact. It's also not completely perfect for building bone density. So how, 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 can athletes, like why is getting to the gym for endurance athletes important when it comes to like bone density development?
1: Yeah. And this is something that I was passionate about too. Cause it's like, I think, okay, like I have lots of like muscle mass in my lower body, like from running, like up and down mountains, like my bones are good. Right. But it's actually like running itself isn't enough to load regions like the axial spine. I mean, I joked with this with Corinne when I had like a dexascan. scan. You were scan. so upset
0: about this. I know. I had <laughs> we're a We're going to take scan. a boxing because you were yes. so worried about your radial bone density.
1: Well, yeah, because like, you know, like there's other regions of the of the body where I'm not like Basically pounding <laughs> every day, and I was like joking with Corinne after my my foot break when I got like a Dexa scan. So I was kind of looking at, at like reasons why this fracture happened, and um, like one of the areas of my body was my was my wrists and like my arms. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm going to take up boxing to you know stimulate muscle development or bone growth but um so that's just kind of the general premise is like loading other areas of your body particularly for women you know this is something for you know osteopenia or osteoporosis like you see that curvature of the spine right it's like your axial spine you need that's that's a region that's really important to have good bone density and doing things like rows or pull-ups even like it's okay to have an upper body and to like stimulate like the loading of those bones. And that's something that that I incorporate just in like a general gym routine. Um, but also something to note too is that timing of your nutrition, I think that actually really helps. If your body's under stress, this is kind of to like extra cortisol levels and in, in the bloodstream, like glucose is one of the things that can actually level that out. And if you're in an underfueled state and extra levels of cortisol or stress, whether that's from training stress or life stress that can actually be, it's, it it can cause like basically leaching of calcium from your bones. And the easiest thing to, to do is timing of nutrition. And that could actually improve, um, absorption of, um, calcium into your bones and like help that process. So, um, I think that combination of things is, is something to look at.
2: Yeah, yeah and this and has kind I, of been, oh, sorry, Keely. No, I was just going to say, and I think it's especially important for women who are, you know, getting close to those perimenopause, menopause, postmenopause years where their estrogen levels are going down um, because estrogen is, is huge in bone remodeling and really important for that activity.
0: Yeah, I think this has been kind of a very wide ranging conversation about strength, how what we <laughs> what we see going on, what we don't see going on, what we personally do um, some of the literature, I'm wondering if there's anything, you know, Keely or Hillary that you don't think we covered or don't, or don't think we addressed clearly here, um, when it comes to strength training, be it timing or benefits, taboos, et cetera.
1: Maybe form, but that's where it benefits to have a a PT or someone to do it. I mean, yeah. Um, it's
0: worth it. It's worth it yeah. to get into the gym, even if it's a couple sessions of the personal mm-hmm. trainer, to just like become comfortable with your gym layout, where things are located, um, like some basic movements, etc. And then once you have those basic movements down, you can you can use like a, a more generic potentially, mm-hmm. or work with your PT or someone to come up yeah. with like a a simple you know routine strength program for you that you can build off of. I guess yeah, and be a tie in there.
2: And I would say like, don't be afraid to start life lifting pretty light because you're just learning the movements, but, but also then to the counterpoint, don't be afraid to lift really heavy because if you're just doing consistent lifting with 45 pound dumbbell, like you're not getting any more, um, strength built than you would be running. Right. Cause you're generating a lot more force when you're landing during your, your landing phase of running. Um, than if you're just doing a stationary squat, holding a 45 pound plate. And so, As you learn the movements, again, don't jump right to heavy weight. Don't be afraid to get to the heavy weights because to our previous point, like you're not going to gain all this crazy muscle mass, but you're going to generate a lot more force. um, And that's going to make you be able to run faster and run those hills a lot faster and and feel a lot more resilient, which is, which is awesome. And then my final little piece of advice would be, you know, don't um, do your first lift or or your really heavy lift uh, 12 to 24 hours right before you're trying to do a really hard workout. (laughs) That's not going to end super well. It's not going to feel really great. Um, I've done it. It's doable. You don't love yourself during it. But, um, what I try to do is to kind of get my, my workout and my lifting done on the same day so that you're kind of, you know, you're mitigating the doms from the workout. um, and you're kind of getting them both done while you're still kind of fresh. So you're not like running on really tired legs and you're not lifting on super tired legs either.
0: Yeah. I love the making the hard day hard, keeping the easy mm-hmm. days easier type of thing. I've definitely accidentally done too heavy of an upper body session <laughs> at a gym and like tried to do a speed workout the next day being like, it's fine. But I was like, Oh my God, I use my arms to run. Like this is really <laughs> hard. My arms are really sore. So uh, you'll make that mistake a couple of times and then you'll, you'll figure it out. But th- that that's the thing. It's like experimentation is good. Like try things out, you know, like, Reach out for help from people in your community. Like there are really good strength and conditioning coaches. There are really good PTs. Um, again, getting that one or two sessions in with someone can go a long way with just feeling a little bit more comfortable and a little bit more confident. Um, getting into that gym environment, which definitely can be intimidating. I feel intimidated walking into a new gym and I like like gyms, generally speaking. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Anything else before we dive into Society Slam? Not for okay. me. Well, if you've got questions, comments, concerns, you uh you let us know. You let us know what your favorite strength workouts are. You let us know mm-hmm. if we royally messed up. Um, or if you have, if you have differing opinions, send them our way. DMs are open. But we're gonna close out with Society Slam brought to you by Aura Ring. Um, I don't know about you, but I've been living off of my sleep tracker, I feel like, <laughs> since getting back from Cape Town. And I feel like I'm finally caught up, but it took a long, 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 long time.
1: Oh, I, I mean. That's like kind of what I wanted to talk about too. It's like the recovery isn't linear. I think we've mentioned this many times. It's like specifically recovery from injury, but I've been paying attention to my sleep tracker and kind of like heart rate variability throughout the day. And, um, just like general activity level and, um, or as it's been help, helping me track that after the hundred. And I, I would say it's like, you know, I, I feel like good, but then there's certain like, then I'm like, okay, like I'm, I've passed the hump. Like I'm, I'm doing well. Like recovery check. And then uh, like another day, I just feel so just spent on energy and like I need more sleep. And so it's really cool to have that as like an external reminder that, you know, I need to take it easier than I would generally expect or give myself time to do.
2: Yeah. Likewise. I feel like I got back from TRE, which is why I couldn't record last time. And I had gotten, you know, six hours of sleep at the most, maybe five hours of sleep, waking up at 3 a.m. my time every day. And my readiness score was lower than even the last time I talked about my low readiness score. (laughs) It was like 40. (laughs) And I was like, okay, I guess this is why I make, I feel like crap, but I like try to give myself some grace, obviously easier said than done for the next couple of days and not freak out too much. And, you know, everything was fine. I got my final done. I got some workouts done and all was good, but it was cause I like saw those numbers and realized that I was not firing all cylinders. So yeah, backed off a bit.
0: Yeah, it's good. It's a good way to check check in with the body, um, kind of keeping keeping track on how things are trending more than anything. Keely, what do you have for us society slam wise? What kind of call out do you have to the audience before we sign off for the day?
2: Um, so I guess I have a big call out to the community to see if they want to DM us about what they liked and what they didn't like about 2022. Uh, as we go into 2023, we want to you know, really you know, trudge forward on topics and episodes that you guys really resonated with. Um, And we want to just hear back from you and what we can do better and what you liked and what you didn't like. Um, And then we're also looking to kind of expand our team a little bit um, to bring on someone who wants to further our presence in the social media land, aka create our presence there because we don't have one and that (laughs) has been strategic up until now. But now we think it'd be really cool to to start something. So if you have any interest in helping us out or know someone who'd be helpful and really likes what we're doing and wants to help us grow, um, send them our way. Awesome. My
0: mm-hmm. my quick call out is uh we uh, we we shouted out the South African community uh at the end of our last episode and my inbox was flooded <laughs> by that same community including chloe who had us had a bunch of us including uh hillary and i sign um her running hat which is pretty cool so thanks for listening thanks for con- continuing to to shout us out there it was very it's very very humble to kind of get to show up all over the world and have people be like hey we dig the podcast so uh <laughs> keep keep uh keep listening share it with your friends Really, really appreciate it. Hill, what do you have? Anything else to add?
1: No, that was it about the, re- yeah, just the recovery stuff. But yeah, same thing, like Chloe and I got to run, I got to 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 meet them at the stelly's ShakeOut Run in uh, Cape Town, kind of after the, uh, sorry, outside of Cape Town and Stellenbosch after the race. And um, they were so psyched.
0: <laughs> awesome. Okay, with that, we're closing out 2022. We'll see y'all on the trails, if not into 2023.